this morning. Um, yeah, so the the real season starts here Saturday coming, so we're good. Thursday night, okay. I'll give I'll give the deference to Ohio State there for just this morning. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting year. We'll see because of uh, everything. But All right, Romans 8, if you will. We're down. Uh, we'll pick back into this passage. We're going to look one more time here, starting in verse 28. Uh, and we know that all things work together for good that, that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, this passage, again, uh, <laughs> the theologians break their fool necks on it, spiritually speaking, okay, not literally. Um, but, uh, and a lot of it is because they, they honestly, they, they are trying to make it say something, make the passage say something it's not saying. And what they do is they start with, called according to his purpose, they start in verse, really they start in verse 29. Whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate, and them he predestinated, he called, he justified. And really that is not the approach that Paul is taking here. Um, and again, in the passage, we, you have to remember the context that it's sitting in and, uh, and what Paul is doing in your inner man, in your inner, the realm of your thinking, the realm of your decision-making processes. And he's, he's building into you sound doctrine, identification doctrine, in order for you to be able to think about things that are happening in your life correctly and properly. And when he, when he starts here uh, in verse 28, who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, and then the predestination and the call and all that, literally Paul is, going, is working this backwards in the text, okay? Uh, again, the context, verse 18. Don't, I tell you, don't forget the context and we don't say what the context is. Verse 18. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Again, the context is the issue of suffering. Suffering in two ways. The, the, our connection to creation, the sin-cursed creation, and then our connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that starts down in verse 35 to 39 here, where the, the suffering is going to intensify. It's going to get deeper. It's going to get more intense here so that you, and it's because of who we are in Christ. So we've got these two areas specifically in Romans 8 that he's dealing with in suffering. One, he leaves you here on this sin-cursed creation called earth. So you're going to have disease, you're going to decay, and eventually you'll die if the Lord tarries. So there's going to be infirmities. That's why in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. There's a help here. And the help is what begins to be the issue. Where Paul now is beginning to develop, he said, look, you're going to suffer. If you look there at verse 22, for we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. 
and not only they, but ourselves also. You're going to suffer because you're left here. But when you're in that suffering, remember verse 24, or the, well, the end of verse 23, we groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body, for we are saved by hope. Remember, you have a hope. Here's the reality. The reality is you're going to suffer, but you have a sustaining hope. Then in verse 26, what do you have? You have a helper. He's developing things here. He's moving things into your thinking, into your inner man. In other words, God didn't save you and then just leave you alone. Okay? He just, here, you're on your own. Have, you know, we'll see you in 70 years. You're done. He doesn't do that. He says, look, he's left you here. We have a job to do, our ambassadorship. We have a vocation. We're going to see that in just a minute. And then, so I'm going to sustain you with some hope, with a hope, and I'm going to give you some, a helper, the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to work, and he's going to help you, and he's going to do that in the realm of your inner man. And then in verse 28, notice the first word, and. Here's some additional information. So he's, we, we've got the hope built in us, we've got the helper built into us, into our thinking, okay, into that equipping. Then he says, and. More information and additional. He's continuing to build into our thinking, into our inner man, this, this information that's, that's going to be there about that sustaining hope and the helper. And, by the way, if you look at, well, we'll get down there. And we know that all things work together for them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. When we are preoccupied with what God is doing, then we're not victimized by our circumstances, by our suffering, by life's details. When we are preoccupied, what is God doing today? And that's what his purpose is. And that's what Paul, we said it last time, last week we kind of introduced this. Paul, for the first time, is here is God's purpose. Here's his eternal purpose. You're a part of it. We participate in that. Here it is. So, and we're going to, let's be preoccupied with what God's doing. Because the suffering, the infirmities, is only going to get intense. It's more intense. (laughs) It's going to intensify. Down there in verse 31, what shall we say then? Uh, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? See, there's someone now that's going to come up against us. The adversary is going to come up against us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? See, there's an intensification here of trying to separate you. The adversary knows he can't get you out of Christ, but what can he do? He can separate you. He does, that happens when you get preoccupied on the details of your life. Rather than keeping preoccupation, keeping your mind on what God's doing. When you're dwelling over here in the mud and the mire and the murk, you're not looking at the sunrise and the sun, you're not looking at the better thing. Your, your, your focus, your thinking is in the wrong direction. So Paul is preparing, by, by the way, verse 37, nay, in all these things were what? 
more than conquerors. See, there's a vi- we are to live victorious, even in the mud and the mire and the murk. See, because what are we have our thinking in the right area. The believer, so he's, Paul is building into you and I, into our inner man, the, the issue of, for the believer, we have this connection to the, to the sin, cursed creation, and we have this connection about the, to suffering because of who we are in Christ, and we're to, keep, we're to keep our focus right where it needs to be. So Paul here is building into us some doctrine. He's not talking about that God, before the foundation of the world, God preordained that you would, you know, be here today on Sunday, on August 29th. Thank you. <laughs> I only wrote that like 10 times this morning. Already. The 29th at 942, and you decided to sit here. But he's not talking about that at all. That's just man's theology. And by the way, the reason that that is that way with man's theology is what is man trying to do? Romans 1, not be held accountable. It's amazing. And believers, we, believers do this. I did a sermon years ago now about, well, are you a closet Calvinist? Because what happened, Calvinism is, where this, is the doctrine that permeates this, because a lot of grace believers are closet Calvinists because, you know what, they don't want to be held accountable. So they run these in run, little run things around and make things say, and Paul's not doing that at all here. Nowhere in this passage, we're going to look at these terms here as we go down through these three verses, nowhere is Paul saying that God before the foundation of the world preordained that you would get saved. Or that you would get up in the morning and, you know, I would put on a red shirt and tan pants and a black jacket. It is black, right? Okay. <laughs> and a tie to match, thanks to Linda. And it's not that at all, see? He, he's not even, he's, because what's the focus here? His purpose. That's the focus. So he starts, verse 28, and diff, additional information And again, we have to be careful not to read into this because what's read into this is all that happens is because God, before the foundation of the world, pre-planned it. So when your car breaks down, guess what? He pre-planned that to happen because look at what the verse says. We know that all things work together for good to them that what? Love God. So when the bad happens, you're not loving God because that's we looked last time, that's your love for God. And you, when you love God, in Paul's epistles, when you love God, as by the way, also in Israel's program, you, how you love God is by doing what his word tells you to do. That's how you love God. Loving God isn't, oh, wee, woo. Okay, it isn't that. Loving God is what does the verses say for me to do to me today in the age of grace? or Israel and Israel's program, then let's go do that. We looked at that last time. Paul here is building into the believer this information, a, not all the details. We, get, we don't get the details of, of, uh, about his purpose till the book of Ephesians. But rather here, he says, look, here, there's an eternal purpose of God, and you're a part of it. 
All things, and we know that all things work together for good to that love God, to them who are called or who are the called according to his purpose. Again, they all work together for good. He, he's not talking about God manipulating the situation. We were talking um, uh, Wednesday night in our study in Mark about the issues of healing and the miracles. And the Lord did not have a healing ministry. If he wanted to heal people, he could have just spoke the word. The whole world would have been healed. See, the healing, the miracles are coming along and designed to validate what he's preaching. He had a preaching ministry, see. And so Paul's not talking here about God manipulating the circumstances. If God was manipulating the circumstances, wouldn't he want his, belief, his saints to be good to go? You would think. But he's never worked that way, not even with Israel. Remember what Israel was? If you hearken and do my commandments, then you'll be good to go. <laughs> and if you don't then you're not going to be good to go. See, even with Israel, he didn't have what the religionists want us to have. So when you come into here, what Paul's doing here is he's talking about his purpose. What happens in life can... Ne- when, he, when he says there in verse 28, called, the called according to his purpose, when thing, whatever happens in life, it can never work against what God's eternal purpose is. Can anything happen in life? Sure. I mean, just look around. Just, you know, give it a few minutes here. <laughs> okay? Anything can happen. And whatever that is that does happen doesn't, doesn't detour, doesn't change, doesn't stop what God's going to achieve. Rather, its design is to work together for what? For good. Its design is for that eternal benefit. That's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. We've looked at them. We don't need to look at them this morning. i got to get going here, okay? Well, hey, it's a light affliction for the moment, and what does it do? It works for me a far more great. Romans 5, we looked last time. Tribulation worketh. What? Patience. Patience, experience, and experience, hope. You see... The issue here isn't to come along and to make now good. The issue is that there's an eternal benefit. Again, the suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory. God will never, ever take away the opportunity for you to have more glory just to ease your life now. That isn't the case. Verse 20, Verse 28, I'm sorry, verse... 29, for whom, I'm sorry, verse 28, and we know that all things work together, what's that word? For good. That's critical because anything that happens in life, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, isn't going to work against God's purpose, but rather it's actually working where? For good. For your eternal benefit, you know, I, I woke up, what was that, Friday morning. We had together Friday, Friday, and I had a knot, I, got, I still got it, it's right there. 
And you know what happens when you get that knot across your, your top muscle there? You can't even do, you know, that hurt. <laughs> you can't do, what? so it's been nagging me since Friday. Well, so what do you do? A little Advil, a little this, a little stretch, a little, you know, I got the massage wand thing up, you know. And I, but it's, it's nagging. Do you know that that wasn't put there by God to calm me down and to, so I wouldn't get a fat head about something? 2 Corinthians 12. People would say that. That wasn't going to stop anything. What's it doing? It's just ma- reminding me that I'm getting older <laughs> and that I slept wrong. Okay? See, the, that's the, in fact, the, the, whatever happens in life is there for our eternal benefit. So we are to live our lives based on that perspective. That's what's going to sustain us is by having an eternal perspective. A perspective of, look, here's what's going on in life. And when I look over at what God's doing, it doesn't even, isn't even in the same room. So when we, re, so we, what, what Paul wants us to be able to do is to react to life, to respond to things based on this eternal perspective. It doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. Rather, we know it's not, don't we? We know it's just the opposite. And we're not to live life defeated. All the things that happen in life are designed to bring us to be able to operate, to think within this framework of an eternal perspective. That's what Paul's driving home here in verse 28. By the way, if you, again, as we walk by faith, trusting what the Word of God says here, you know, my dad always says your Christian life will never operate on the basis of ignorance. And, he's, and, it's, and it's right. That's what Paul's getting at. You have to operate by You have to have some intelligent understanding of what the word of God to you says about who you are. It's the, that word equipping you. And we begin to develop and we begin to renew our mind. Let me say it like that. And we begin to develop this eternal perspective and a divine perspective on the events of life. Life stinks. It happens. So then how do I look at it? What am I getting through? And that's what Paul's pushing us to. So verse 29, for, notice that word, for, further explanation. So in verse 28, he's, he's developing in who are the called according to his purpose, for. So now this is what God's doing today, his purpose. And now it's time to develop this out, for. We're going to develop out the issue of his purpose. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate. Now we're going to develop out verse 29. So he's developing the issues out here. There's more information being added to our understanding concerning his purpose. And that's what Paul's beginning to do here. He begins with, a purpose, and then he's going to make a logical argument. He's going to develop out a, a, a uh, 
He's going to prove the theorem, the thesis. We're called according to his purpose. Here's how that is. And he does it backwards. Notice in verse 30, there you see called and justified and glorified. He doesn't start with those who are justified. He ends there. But rather he starts, he doesn't say, you guys that are called and justified and glorified, you've been predestinated to his purpose. He didn't go that way, did he? He started with his purpose. Then he back, so by the way, theology does what? Starts with the called and justified. How'd you get justified? God preordained that you'd get saved. Say what? What about the guys who don't get saved? So God's picking. You go to heaven and you go to hell. What? You know, I, I think sometimes about that. If that's the case, then why did Christ die on the Calvary? He didn't need to. So it doesn't work when you leave it in the scriptures. So what's Paul doing here? Look at verse 28. Let's look at these terms here this morning. Uh, and we know that all things work together for good that love God to them who are, notice, the called. When I read that the last two times, what word did I skip? Do you remember? The. We always, you always read that or it is always read, who are called according to his purpose. But by skipping that little word, the, you change the whole meaning. Because the called here is not the action verb. By the way, verse 30, and whom he called, there's the action verb. The called is a title. Huh? Okay, I'm sorry. I, the called is a title. And we've seen this before in Romans. Come over to chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. You see, when, when you read these verses, every word is important. You know, it's going to happen to good. Those who are called according, well, no, it's who are the called. The called. Look at Romans 1. Look at verse 6. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. That's not about salvation. That's not about justification. That's about who you are. Who are you? The called of Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be who? Saints. See, that's above and beyond the issue of justification. Because saints, is, that's that word holy, that's that word sanctification. That's that word set apart for the purpose for which it was created. When he hallows the Sabbath day there in Genesis, makes that sixth day a holy day. What, he sets that last day of the week apart so that it can, for something very special. You see, we're the, come over to 1 Corinthians 1. You, by the way, we can do this all through Paul's epistles, we're not, though, okay? Because <laughs> I like to get a few other things done this morning. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. You see, when he talks about the called, that's, that's a title. That's an identification truth. That's who you are. Called to be saints, 1 Corinthians 1. You, by the way, when you study the book of Corinthians, and they're a mess. They're carnal. 
They're babes. They're in the flesh. They can't grow. They can't seem to. But you better always remember verse number two. Okay? Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. You know what? The folks at Corinth, it doesn't matter. Galatians 3 is clear. There's no Jew nor Gentile. All are equal. The folks at Corinth, you know what they are or who they are? They are saints. How do you get to be a saint? Justified. Justified how? By Paul's gospel. They don't get justified by doing something else. This is Paul. Justified by Paul's gospel. And what are they? They're called to be saints. This is a positional truth, an identification truth. Who are they? Who are we? We, they, we, we, we belong to Christ. Look down at verse 9. What's going on at Corinth? Not some good things here. Look at verse 9. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What, are they, what were they called unto? Justification? Soul salvation? No. What's the verse say they're called unto? Fellowship. You know what was going on at Corinth? They were not having any fellowship. Look at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, all, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto you of whom... Uh, 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 I'm sorry. It hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are in the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. You see, the Corinthians... Were, they're saved, they're in the church, the body of Christ, they're justified, they're sanctified, they're called to be saints, and what are they not doing? Behaving right. See that? By the way, you know what that means? You can get there too. Oh, I would never happen to me, Rick. Yeah, well, you better watch it. By the way, it happened to those at Ephesus in Ephesians, that great church at Ephesus there. They did the same thing, Ephesians 4. My point is, is when he talks here about called, uh, come over to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. They're, they were called into fellowship. They're called to be saints. This is who they are. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is who? Christ. See, we've all been called into the fellowship of who? Christ. We're there. Come over to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll give you one more. Ephesians 4. So when, when you start building in this doctrine in Romans 8, he starts with, Everything that's going to happen to you happens for the good to them that love God who are the called. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation. By the way, not vacation. I heard a guy say, I'm, I got a vacation I've been worthily called to. No, it's vocation. <laughs> Wherein ye, ye, uh, wherewith ye are what? called. 
Again, he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about a worthy walk. He's talking about walking worthy of who you are. Who are you? You're the ambassador of Christ. You're a son of God. So walk where you're supposed to be walking. That's who you are. So when you come back to Romans 8, by the way, you can do this, keep going, and we're not, time-wise, I've already gone too far. Romans 8, look at verse 28. To them, uh, and, and you know that all things work together for good to them that, are, that love God, to them who are the called. That's identification truth. That's who we are. We are predestined to live in a certain way, something that he's giving us. We are the called of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Then he says, according to. So you're not the called just because, hey, good, look, it's a blue sky today, so let's call him this. No, it's according to his, his purpose. And when Paul talks about his purpose, it's very specific here. He's not talking about he's got a purpose that all the bad things happen to you. Or all the good things happen to you. He's not talking about the purpose here that you will be justified. What's the will of God? He would have who? Be saved. All men. Duh. So, oh no, only the, only the redheads today get saved. Only the black hairs get Only the gray heads. Only the bald. He doesn't do that. That's not, so when he talks about his purpose, he's talking about something very, very specific. And his purpose here, and what Paul's going to develop, really, the rest of Romans 8, is that there's a framework that we're to operate within. Come over to Ephesians 1. There's a framework of thinking that we're to, how, how we're to evaluate life. How do you interpret life? How do you look at life? How do you view things? How do you, how do you look at this and go, wait a minute. We got this and that, and you know I'm going to go do this. And how do you think through this? There's a specific framework that Paul has, that God has. That's why it says, according to his purpose. If you look at here, Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10 and 11. By the way, whose purpose is it? His purpose. It ain't about you. <laughs> Sorry, pop your bubble. You know why? Because everybody in this room at some point in time thinks it's all about me. My shoulder hurts. So everything in life is about me. Yesterday we were at Costco getting some stuff for the uh, baby shower and so forth. And this thing was killing me. And I mean, I was a grouch yesterday. Just ask my wife. I've been a grouch for three days. Or, well, three years anyway. And I just... You know, oh, because it, it, I'm uncomfortable. And then I'm sitting there and going, you know what, this isn't about me. we got to get this done, so, you know, shut up. <laughs> That's my self-talk, you know, shut up. Just, well, because it's what? It isn't about me. This is not about you. And when you realize that, you go, wait a second. I'm going to evaluate life according to who? His purpose, what is he doing? Because when I look at it from my vantage point, why is the bad happening to me? 
Why? Wah, wah, wah. Crying like the baby in the nursery. No, it does, it's not about you. Look at verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So the purpose is where? His. It's in him. It's in what he's doing. That's why the details of life can never thwart what he's doing. Because the details of your life are just that. They're just details of your life. He's got an ultimate goal and purpose over here. That's got nothing to do with you. Am I making you mad yet? You ought to. You ought to get mad at yourself. Because what do we do? We sit over there and we pitch a little baby fit. And it's, it's not about you. Now watch verse 10. That, purpose, intent. Here's the purpose that he had in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. What's this? Very specific there, isn't it? It doesn't say, oh, that Rick would have a wonderful, easy life. Oh, Gary would win the Powerball. And in that, he says, no, I got a plan and a purpose in my son that he would be the head over the government of the universe. Who's going to run the universe? In the heavens, here, in the earth, here's my purpose. Here's the heavenly place purpose. Now watch verse 11. In whom also we, now, now there you are, have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, uh-oh, there's our word, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own world. See how, see how 1, 10, and 11 picks up off of Romans 8 and then gives you some more detail? In Romans 8, he just says, you're the called according to his purpose. Here he says, here's what the purpose is, what he's doing in his son, restoring him as the head of the universe, as the creator, as who? As the possessor of heaven and earth. There he is, the Most High. Restoring him, and guess what? You get to participate with him. We're a part of it. We're a part of We are participants in it. I don't know if you've ever noticed when God talked to Abraham and made the Abrahamic covenant back there in Genesis. When God does that, what is Abraham doing? Do you remember? He's asleep. He's got no clue what's going on. Until he woke up and the Lord told him. So then who is the Abrahamic covenant really made with? God made it with himself. And then he looked at Abraham and said, you're my guy I'm going to do this with, and you, you and your seed can come and participate with me. Same thing for you and I. He says, I'm going to do this in the heavenly places with what I'm going to call the church, the body of Christ, and, the, and then I'm going to offer an extension over here to man to come and participate in it with me. I'm doing it. And you get an opportunity to come and be a part of it. So when life happens... What do we do? Oh, oh. Ow. 
when life happens, what's our perspective to be? Wait a second. What's God really doing today? He's not over here manipulating and moving the chess pieces. He says, hey, here's what, when, we, when, when life sends us down the roads that it sends us on it, we're to take that opportunity and allow it to do what? Work for us. A far more and exceeding weight of glory. We're to look at that and we're to say, hey, you know what? That's the opportunity I have. You see, God's purpose is vested in his son, not in you. That's what verse 10 tells you. Verse 11 says he's extended that opportunity to you. He loved you enough to say, trust me and come and be a part of what I'm doing. That's exactly, come back to Romans 8, what he told the nations out there through the nation of Israel. That's exactly what he told Israel. This is what I'm going to do, and you're my nation I'm going to use to accomplish that. Come and be a part of me. Come and do it with me. And Isaiah, he sits there and he calls Israel, the heads of Israel together, and he says, let's come and reason together. He's not unreasonable here. He says, I got a plan. I'm going to accomplish my plan. Man, I'm going to use, Adam, go out and subdue and have dominion over, rule it. He was a king. Adam was a king, priest, and prophet. All in one, boom, do it. But then Adam fell. So God says, that's okay. I got a plan. Come and participate. Come and be, do it with me. Here's God's plan. You just come over. So when Paul says, who are the called according to his purpose, it's very specific here. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow. Now, the issue of foreknow, the word defines itself, doesn't it? Knew before. But this is an attribute of God. This is not an action. Okay? And that's important. Does God, the Godhead, know everything? Yes. Did they know that you would trust Christ? Yes. Did they know that you would trust Christ and then one day come to understand the truth of right division? You're sitting here. Yeah, they knew that. But what did they not do? Well, let's move this to here so then they'll do that. This isn't action. This is an attribute. He knew something in advance. And what Paul is developing here in the text specifically is that God knew what he planned, what his purpose was. See? He, this, again, his purpose isn't about you. It's about what he's doing in his son. Right? Ephesians 1.10. What did God foreknow? He says, whom he did foreknow. The whom there is important, I think. Who did he know? He knew he was going to do this with the church, the body of Christ, didn't he? Thank you. Uh, can't hear your head rattle, so I'll make it rattle for you. 
You see, he knew, God knew, he planned something out in advance. Again, this is not about you. We are so self-centered that we think everything is about us. It is not. I don't want to hear any more about you. I've heard enough. That's what God told them. That's what God says there in Romans 3. He looks at sinful man and says what? Enough! Shut up! Enough! I don't want to hear anymore. Be quiet! Stop talking! Okay. (laughs) What did he foreknow? He knew that he was going to do something. Look, Look over. You're in Romans, right? Look at Romans 16, verse... Verse 25, what did he know? Think about this. What did he know? What did Ephesians 1.10 tell us? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he'd gather all things, all things, the government, the structure of the universe. In Christ, whether they be where? In heaven or in earth? What did he know? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He knew he had what? He has two spheres of operation. When did he know that? Before the foundation of the world, right? Let's just talk this through real quick. Go back to Romans 8, all right? Think about that. Who's in the earth? What did he develop in the earth? He develops Adam and Eve, man. Gives man the charge. Man falls. He looks over, gives Noah and his three boys the charge. Go out, subdue, repopulate, get out there. What did man do? Fell apart again. So then no Nimrod showed up. I'm trying to pick the big names across there, okay? Nimrod shows up and says, hey, I'll do it for you. You just come in here and we'll all be one happy family. God says, it's not what I want done. Confounds the languages, scatters them about and says, I got my nation over here. I'm going to pull out with Abraham. Then Abraham has Isaac. Isaac, But Isaac had a, a, had a brother, didn't he? Ishmael. The elder shall serve the younger. That precedent is set, is established. Ishmael said, knew he wasn't the one. And off he went. It's been a pain in Isaac's descendants' neck ever since. <laughs> Isaac has two boys, Esau and Jacob. Who did God pick? Jacob. Jacob's got 12 boys. Out of 12 comes the tribe of Judah. But Judah's the biggest tribe there is, so now he's got to get down in that Jesse family and pulls out Jesse and David and the descendants all the way to Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what he says over there? He says, there's my righteous nation, that little flock, that believing remnant. Where is Israel? A Jew would have never said in Israel's program, I'm dying and going to heavenly places. He never said that. Job said, I'm going to die, the worms are going to eat my flesh, and I'm going to see my Savior here on the earth one day. Where would Job think he was going? He wasn't going to heaven. Never says that. David, resurrect, right here on the earth. They knew they were, they knew they were earthly people. What happens in the heavens? Woo. Nobody knows. It's been kept a secret. Romans 16, 25 there, okay? We preach Jesus Christ according to Revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret. Since when? Since the world began. Ephesians 1, before the foundation. So then he comes along and he says, hey, I got the heavens up there. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a new 
creature, a new creation, a new man. And how I'm going to do it is I'm going to reach over here now and I'm going to do something different, something I, I kept it a secret. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7 calls it the hidden wisdom of God. Kept it a secret. What did God foreknow? What he was going to do in the earth and what he was going to do in the heavens. And it's only through the Apostle Paul's ministry do you hear anyone ever say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Where is the Lord? He's in heaven. See, It's only in Paul's ministry and message do you hear us groan and waiting for our heavenly bodies. That heavenly tabernacle. Only Paul says that. Only does Paul come, only Paul comes along and says, I'm talking to the heathen out there in the world. Foreknew. 829, for whom he did foreknow. Who, who, who's the whom? He's talking about you and I, because we're in Romans 8. But you and I is what? The body of Christ. Again, this is not about you individually. It's about us corporately here. So Paul, again, foreknew, God foreknew, we're a part of something that wasn't known before. God had it all pre-planned. Nothing about your life events, nothing about this tragedy or that attaboy, rejoicing. That's why Paul says rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. That's why he set talks like that. Doesn't say only rejoice in the bad time. No, he says in everything give thanks. For everything give thanks. That's why he talks that way. Why? Because our perspective is to be an eternal perspective. Verse 29, 829. I gotta go. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. There's the next big theological word: predestination. But again, the word does what? Defines itself. Destiny, pre, what? Determined. Was that hard? I, th I thought about pulling out the Oxford English Dictionary and running all the definitions. It's, it's right there for you. It's not difficult. Pre, before, destiny. God has a destiny for the church, the body of Christ. Notice how he tells you what it is. Predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay? What's our destiny to be? To be conformed to the image of his dear son. What's that? Well, keep reading. That he might be the, what? Firstborn among many brethren. Now, does that mean he's the firstborn human ever? No. Firstborn in what manner? Resurrection. You can say it. Somebody say it other than Susie. I get an email. Who's the lady's voice we keep hearing? I'm like, you don't want to know her. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no. Firstborn how? Resurrection. <laughs> get the tape quick. Here you go. I got it right here. No, firstborn what? Resurrection. Why? He's the, he's the only one to have raised from the dead never to die again. 
Firstborn, by the way, among many brethren. By the way, he's your brother. Isn't that interesting? That joint heirship, that identification there. So God knew. God purposed. He purposed all things in Christ. He devised a plan back there before the world, before he ever created anything. We're, we're going to look at creation in the next hour coming in a couple weeks where he sits there with wisdom back in Proverbs. And we're going to go down through that passage and he had wisdom and he had a blueprint and he created creation according to a blue because he had a plan and he's got a purpose and he planned it way back there before the foundation and the intent and he intended in that plan for you and I to be a part of that glorification of his son. That's his purpose, to glorify his son. And, the, and in order for that to happen, in no matter which realm, earth or heaven, what has to happen to you and I as participants? We have to be resurrected because we die. In, death is still the number one enemy. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, when he says death, you know, the last enemy is death. Where death, where's your stained grave? Where's your, where, you don't have power over you and I because where are we? We're in Christ. It's, all of this is identification truth. He intended it for us to be a part of his purpose. And in order for that destiny, destination to happen is for God to come along and as Philippians 3 says, to change our vile body and fashion it like into his glorious body. Look over there at Philippians. You guys looking at me. It's a Philippians uh, 3. I got to notice this. We quote these verses and we pay it. We look, but I don't think we look at every word in them. Philippians 3, verse number 21. Well, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. You know, when Peter talks about the conversation in 1 Peter 3, it's here on the earth. He never talks about a conversation. only person ever talks about anything in heaven is Paul. From whence also we look. Where are we looking? To heaven. For who? For the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So... To know what his glorious body is, now you've got to go into the end of the Gospels and read all the information in the early Acts period about his resurrection. What was he able to do? He was able to leave earth, go right up into the third, third heaven, into the throne room of God the Father. So he would leave earth and then come back with all in with all within about two, two and a half hours. When he came back, he could then be touched. Then he could walk through the walls, appear, disappear, move around, do Eat. I love that. Whew. Gonna eat. Yeah, you know. <laughs> he so you begin to look at that. By the way, fashioned like unto doesn't say fashioned as. You're not all gonna look like little Jesus is running around heaven. You're gonna have your personality, you're gonna have your description, okay? But keep reading. According to look notice, according to the what? Working. What's he working? He's working his purpose. Ephesians 1.10. Whereby he is able to 
what? Subdue. There's Genesis 1:28 language with Adam. Subdue it. Govern, rule, control. Subdue all things unto himself. Look at every word in that verse. That's critical. So what's Paul doing in Romans 8? He's introducing us to that. Romans 8, 29. You see? God's purpose again, it's in his son, and you're in his son, and you're a part of his purpose. Nothing, go back to Romans 8 if you're not there, nothing in verse 29 has anything to do with you. It has to do with who you are in Christ. Identification. Now watch verse 30. Oh, five, seven minutes, okay. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Come back with me to 2 Thessalonians 2. If you look at called, justified, and glorified, all of those are in past tense. They've all been already accomplished. They were accomplished the moment you trusted the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2. They, so what happens is, in theology, is they, they throw down on that, on, to all whom he called, and they start there. But the question is, is how were you called? You know, 2 Thessalonians 2, the old preacher, the old preacher, the young preacher's preaching away one Sunday morning, gets done, and the old elder comes up, the old deacon comes up and says, what was your call to the ministry? And he says, well, I was out plowing, plowing the field, and I looked up, and I saw PC. And I said, I took that to mean God was telling me to go preach Christ. So here I am. He goes, son, do you ever think it meant plow corn, <laughs> plant corn? <laughs> In other words, he wasn't very good at it. Okay. That's not how I, people ask, how was your call to ministry? That has nothing, to, no, 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 no. You know what 1 Timothy 3 says? If a man desires the office. None about it. You know, none of that hokey hoodly do stuff. Second Thessalonians two verse thirteen. But we are bound to give thanks always to to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning. Uh oh, there's another word. Chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth. Oh, see, look, He chose you. He didn't choose them. He chose. But the question then is, is what is the context? What's the salvation here? It isn't justification. See? The salvation, beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. The salvation is from the Antichrist, verse 3, the man of sin, the son of perdition. The salvation from the beginning has chosen you to what? Not, you're not appointed under wrath. You're going to miss the 70th week of Daniel. He's a, so the salvation and chosen you, chosen who? The church, the body of Christ, for a pre-trib rapture. Getting into some of the technical argument of terms. He'd come over there and he says, look, you're, you're not appointed to the wrath. I, I love that, appointed. You know what appointments are? By the way, in 1 Thessalonians 4, when we meet the Lord in the air, that's, that is a preordained, prearranged meeting on the calendar, God's calendar, okay, appointed. You're, you're not, it's never written in for you. Now watch verse 14. Whereunto he called you by what? Our gospel. Whose gospel? 
not Peter and the boys. All that mess of, oh, in the, in the Acts, you know, Paul was preaching Peter's gospel. No, he wasn't. Sorry, Charlie. Because if he was, guess what the hour gospel would include? That stuff over there. And it isn't. You know, it's just, again, man makes up ways to get around being held accountable. It's, and religionists are no different. Notice, though, he's called you. How did he call you? By our gospel. Our gospel, Paul's gospel, is available unto all, is it not? Romans 3. Go back to Romans 8. Unto all. What are you, you're in Thessalonians, right? Did you leave? Look over at uh, 2 Timothy. Oh, it's not 2 Timothy. Come on, come on, come on. 1 Timothy 4. Sorry, 1 Timothy 4. You see... Our gospel, Paul's gospel, is unto all. It's available to everyone, is it? But it isn't a but it's upon all them that believe. So what do you have to do? You got to make a choice of your own volition, of your own free will, of your own faith to do what? Believe that. He isn't dragging you. By the way, the reason he isn't dragging you is he never wants a creation. He doesn't want his creation to be a robot. If he has to drag you, then guess what you are? A robot with a dead battery. He doesn't want that. He wants you to do what? Willingly, out of your own volition, say, I believe that. I do. 1 Timothy 4, wonderful verse, verse 10 for therefore we both labor and, labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So if you believe, you're called, so then you are justified and you are glorified. By the way, how are you glorified? What's his purpose? To fill up the heavenly places with a new creation. How did you get there? Resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. I know we, were, we didn't go there. But look, look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. Great verse here. You see, when we talk, when he's talking here, you're called. How are you called? You're called by Paul's gospel. You're called. He, here's the gospel. You trust it. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being what? Justified. We have peace with God. What did I do? I heard the gospel, it called me, I believed it, I got justified. Done deal. Salvation, past tense, it's done. Never to happen, never to be done to you again. That's why there's only five chapters in Paul's epistles about justification. Because how many times do you need to be justified? Well, I'm on about a thousand. No, no, one time. See? Now, how, how much do you need to understand how to walk as who you are in Christ? Then you got the rest of it, okay? 1 Corinthians 2, 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. Now watch. Which God ordained before the world unto our glory. There's the glorified. What's he doing this? He's going to glorify his son. That's his purpose. 
and he's using you and I, members of the body of Christ, to glorify out there in the ages to come in the heavenly places. You follow that? So this stuff has nothing. By the way, none of this is about you in your daily life. And that's what Paul's at in Romans 8. Know who you are. Who are you? You're an heir of God. You're a joint heir with Christ. You're a son. You're an adult. So when life throw comes your way, let's, have a, let's be focused in on what God's doing. What's he doing? Then we're not under the doldrums of life. We're not defeated. That great word, victimized. We're not a victim. Don't think you're a victim. You never were a victim. After, I'm talking about after justification, okay? <laughs> All right? Don't live, live victorious. That's who you are. You're a part of his predetermined purpose that is vested in his son to be resurrected as a part of that resurrection that will then accomplish his predetermined purpose in his son, and that is to bring all the things, all the government of the universe and the heavens for you and I under the headship of his son. Now, that's what God's doing. It's bigger than you and your little light-for-the-moment stuff. But where do we live in that light-for-the-moment stuff? So how are we to view this perspective? How do you evaluate it? Well, we evaluate it, number one, oh, my goodness, what do I got to get through this? But we, and that's that, I told you last week, don't go with that knee-jerk reaction first. <laughs> Think about it. Take a minute. You got to take care of it and then say, you know what? God's purpose is this, and I'm going to focus that, and so I'm going to allow this to then work towards that. Okay? All right. I took a little extra time again. I apologize for that. But I, verse 31, we start a new, uh, uh, we get to the next section. Okay? So don't think this stuff in 28, 29, and 30 is about God predetermining your life. It's not that at all. It's who you are, your identification. Who are you? You're this. So go be that, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the information, for the instruction, actually, through the Apostle Paul here, and for the wonderful knowledge and wisdom and understanding that you made us a part of what you're doing and that what you're going to accomplish will be accomplished ultimately. In your name we pray, amen.